You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Thank you, Kirk. Good morning, church. A town of outlaws cursed by the Mormons. It's the perfect place to begin a ministry. And, and um, you know, this is part of our work here at Black Forest Chapel is, is not just to impact our church and our community, but to, to see the gospel go out. And uh, not that far away, Kirk and Paula and their, their church are ministering to a really difficult area, a difficult place, a place that we really probably don't understand and, and um, maybe wouldn't even feel comfortable at maybe some of the services and with some of the people. And yet they're out there doing that work for, for decades. And um, so it's something to think about when it comes to how am I um, helping in this, in this gospel going out? Um, not just with finances, which is good, not just with prayer, which is of utmost importance, but how am I um, allowing God to sanctify my life so that I might be used for the glory of God and for the kingdom work? Um, as, as Kirk talked about, there's, there's been difficulties, there's been struggles, and within the body of Christ, if we stay hidden, if we um, don't allow God to do that sanctifying work, if we're not confessing our sins, praying for one another so that we might be healed, if we're not doing that work, then we are not productive in the kingdom. How can God use us if we are secretly rebelling against him? Right? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But, and so just to consider that for your own life this morning as we... Um, you know, look at this passage in Exodus 17 as a warning for us, but also as an encouragement that uh, when we accept God's way and stop rebelling against Him, when we do things according to His word and not according to our own, then good things happen. There's blessings that come. Um, there is there is kingdom work that is established, and we can rejoice and be part of that. But when we're hiding and we're rebelling against God, that does not take place. It's harmful for the body. And so uh, Kirk's experiencing some of that um, this past summer, and, um, and the ministry is difficult, but yet there's still fruit uh, leaving Nepal. Look, look what happened there, the fruit of, of his labor there and, and those who he was teaming with. So it's not always easy, um, but we can trust the Lord to, um, to do great things if we would just walk with him and depend on him and stop rebelling against him. So... Uh, let's pray as we open uh, Exodus chapter 17 and hear from the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence. Father, you provide yourself to us. It's an amazing concept, though we don't quite understand it. You provided your presence for your people, Israel, as they've wandered the desert, Father. And you provide your presence to us today as, as your church. Jesus, you are the head of your body, and we are the members. You have given us your Holy Spirit who indwells us, and he works to comfort and to help and to give us gifts and to help us to grow in the likeness of your Son. We have everything we need, Lord, because of your presence. So, Father, forgive us for, for rebelling against you, for quarreling with you and grumbling as if you are not enough. You're everything. Thank you for your word that we've been walking through. Exodus, Lord, thank you for all the, all the encouragements, all the, all the warnings, Lord all the 
the different parts of the narrative that teach us how to be your people and that teach us this great salvation that we've gotten through Jesus Christ. And that we are free to be your people, Lord. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. We are no longer slaves, Lord. Help us to understand that at the heart level, Father, and walk in light of it. So, Lord, we ask for your mercy upon this morning. You would help us, help me to communicate, help us to hear, Lord. Give us wisdom to walk in this world differently, ultimately to glorify you and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been walking through Exodus together, and we're, we're in uh, chapter 17 this morning, and so we're, we're moving along. Um, this is going to be just a short seven verses, but there's a lot in here, and the reason I just wanted to stick with these seven verses and not move through the whole of chapter 17 um, is because chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, this story of the Israelites really testing God, putting God on trial, if you will, um, this story kind of innervates the rest of the Bible. We see it cropping up again and again as a warning against hardening of our hearts toward God and toward his word. And so this is a good, good warning for us this morning, and I, I don't want us to walk away with the heaviness that comes with conviction and with some of what we're going to learn this morning, but allow the Lord to speak about these things. This is too important for us to miss. So let me read uh, 17, 1 through 7, and then we'll, we'll discuss. And just as a preamble here, we just talked about uh, God's got provision along the way, right? So he provided bread from heaven. So the, the people, this the grumbling, this grumbling congregation of over 2 million people is, is, has, really hasn't changed much since their, their brief departure from Egypt. Um, they grumbled when they didn't have water at Marah, and God provided for them. Even though he had something better at Elam coming up, they just weren't ready to wait. They were impatient, and God was gracious. And then they grumbled because they didn't have food. They start reminiscing about the past and about Egypt and misremembering in their grumbling, which is essentially open rebellion against God and his goodness. God, can you really do this? Can you really provide for us in the wilderness, even though he's provided all along, including salvation, Right? including being freed from the bondage of Egypt and providing a dry ground in, in the Red Sea for them to walk across from death to life. And he saved his people, and he's done all these amazing things, and yet they still grumble against them. So he provided this heavenly bread, this manna from heaven, this incredible food for them. And we see them continuing to grumble, but God provides, and he provided rest for them. We talked about that last week. He provided a Sabbath rest for them. And so now we, we continue to move on, and God is moving his people but their hearts really haven't changed toward him. Chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Just to, just to pause for a moment. Um, what we see here is that they were moving on according to the commandment of the Lord. So they might feel like they're wandering. They don't know where they're going. Their GPS is broken. Siri's not talking back. Nothing's working, right? They don't know what's happening. But God knows exactly where they're going, and he's taking them by stages. It's very orderly. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he takes them to a place where there's no water. You think they would have learned by now that if God takes us to a place where there's no water and there's no food, that he's trying to teach us something because he's provided along the way. And so you think their response would be, okay, there's no water here. We, we've, we've, I remember this from a couple days ago, right? There was no water there, and we, and we grumbled, and we complained, and God got angry, but he was nice about it, and we got our water, and we kept moving on. Maybe we should stop and wait and pray and, and seek the Lord who has provided all along for us. 
And so for us as, as New Testament, New Covenant believers, we're, we're in the same boat here because God has saved his people and now he is, what, he's sanctifying his people. This wandering in the desert is a sanctification process before they enter the promised land. He is making them his people. He is setting a standard based on his holiness and he's teaching them how to walk with him. They don't know. They're, they're lifelong slaves. And so God is, is, is sanctifying them. And just as we have been saved by the blood of Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus, who's atoned for our sins by hanging on a cross and dying, and he was raised again on the third day, if we, if we put our faith in Christ and confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And now as his people, he is sanctifying us. We're wandering in this world waiting to go home. And to us, it might feel like wandering. Lord, why am I here? I really liked when I was over there, Lord. This is, that's the place I want to be. That's the place where I saw the most growth, right? I love Elam. Why don't we stay there? There's springs of water. There's trees. It was a great little oasis. Why can't we just hang out here? Could this be our promised land? Because we were refreshed there. And God says, no, that, that was good for that moment. I've got other things for you. I've got better things for you. You're still, you're still slaves in your heart in a lot of ways. You still want to go back to Egypt. You would rather serve Pharaoh than me. And so I've got to work that out. I've got to expose this sin. I've got to test you and try you and refine you because I want you to be holy. That's, that's the best thing that God can do for his people to make them holy. And so he's, he's testing them and he's trying them. And just as we walk in this world and we wonder, why, God, am I here? And why, why did you move me to this place? And, Lord, why is there no water here? And why, do, why is there no food here, Lord? And why does it seem like I'm just struggling, Lord? And what do you, yes, ask those questions because God is testing you. He's trying you. He's exposing the sin in your life. He's, he's doing the surgery that needs to be done so that you can be more like his son. And we need to learn that. We need to read the word so we remember that this is our heavenly father loving us instead of always fighting against him, because that's what we do. And so this is, they moved to a place in the water because that's what God wanted them to do. He has something else for them. Not just water to drink, remember? Not just, not just food to eat. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Their craving is for the wrong thing, and God's changing that. He's trying to change that. He's working on them. The same thing for what are they really thirsting for? So there was no water to drink. Verse 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall, shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So that's the big question this morning. Is the Lord among us or not? Do you believe that? And I feel like I'm more thirsty when I'm preaching this particular passage for some reason. I don't know Psychological thirst. <laughs> but is the Lord among us or not? Is, is he here? Is, this is the question. And the Lord provides his presence and he always has. And there's still the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. It's right there. They should be able to see him very plainly, but, but in their grumbling, in their quarreling, they're hardening their heart against God. They, they stop believing him. 
And so the, the warnings that I mentioned keep coming from this story, and we'll come back to it in one second, but I want to go to a couple other places just to show you that this continues on, and God um, was truly not pleased with this, with this act. And, and really, we see even in Numbers 13 and 14, when the, when the spies go in to check out the land of Canaan, they come back, and only Joshua and Caleb are, are favorable in their response, and the rest of the spies are not, and the people grumble, and the people complain, and they're scared, and they're fearful, and they don't trust God. God brought them all the way there to the promised land, as he said he would, promised to give them this land to defeat their enemies, and they don't trust him. Instead, they want a new leader to take them back to Egypt, Right? And so God gives them what you want to, you want to live in the wilderness. You'd rather die in the wilderness than go to this land that I promised you. So be it. And so they have to wander for the rest of their time for 40 years until that generation passes away. And then in numbers 20, we see the people doing the same thing, the same grumbling, the same, where's my water? Can God really provide? Their hearts haven't changed much. This is a big warning for us. Psalm 95, uh, God speaks of this in the Psalm. It starts out really good. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So this is who God is. This is an amazing picture of our king and our creator, and that he is in control of everything, and we belong to him. We're we're in his hand, and he's fully able to protect us and provide for us in every way. An amazing just celebration and praise to the Lord. And so the next part, so today, today if you hear his voice, if God speaks and God commands As a heavenly father, a good creator, the king of the universe, if he speaks, if you hear, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. This is a cautionary tale now for God's people. If God speaks, listen to him. He knows what's best for you. Don't harden your heart against him. Don't think you know better. Lord, I will handle this. I'm taking this. I don't trust you. Lord, you really can't do this. God, you're not able this is what we say with our actions, right? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They were not going to enter the promised land. They were not going to receive that reward as part of his people. They didn't know his ways. They hardened their hearts. And we see this moving forward, and um, there's some warnings here about this, 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 uh, the same kind of aspect or part of the story in 1 Corinthians 10, a warning against idolatry. We've, we've talked about this uh, in another section of Exodus. I just want to read some of these. This is important for us to make these connections. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Right? This is, this is the congregation. We're all on the same page. This is all of God's people. I want you to be aware of these things. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock 
that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And Paul's making this amazing connection that, that the provision they really needed, the provision that was, provi- that was really there in the desert was Jesus Christ. Yeah, they, they received water from the rock, but ultimately they needed living water. They needed the, the true God. They needed salvation that came from God alone. So God, Paul's making these connections um, and, and obviously God was there and he was standing there and whether Christ was there, uh, this is at Mount Horeb, this is the, the same place where Moses received his first interaction, his, his, his first commands from the Lord through the burning bush. This was that first interaction, the same place and that theophany of God being present with him. We don't know exactly what it looked like for God to stand at Horeb with Moses for striking the rock, but Christ was there. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. What's an idolater? Someone who worships something else, right? Not worshiping the true God. They're worshiping other things, other gods. We're not to be idolaters, thinking that we can figure it out on our own. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for us, uh, written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not, he will, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So there's the warning there. Don't let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. But I can stand on my own. I like God on Sunday morning. I like my Bible study. My devotion with my coffee tastes pretty good, right? But I can stand on my own. I can do this. That's, that's open rebellion against God. That's saying, Lord, you're not able and I am. And we don't say it out loud like that, but that's how we live. And part of it is we're so scared to expose our sin. We're so scared to share what's really going on in our life. We can't. God has made a provision in the church and in brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's, there's so many one another's in scripture for us to do this life together, to confess our sins and pray for one another and to, and to be healed. And we, we have all of the tools and all of the opportunity and God has put, he's designed the whole structure for us to flourish and to walk as free men and women under him. And yet we hide and put ourselves in, in the dark places and we, we don't want to be, we don't want to be exposed. But bringing all this stuff to light, all these things that we are holding on to, Lord, I, I can handle this. I can do this on my own. I, can't, I don't want to tell anybody. That's going to mess things up. There's, people aren't going to like me. I'm going to be judged. And So, Lord, I'm just going to hang on to this, and I'm not going to tell anyone because I can, I can do this, Lord. What you're saying is God's not able. If you confess as he says to confess, that's the only way you're going to be free. Then God's not able to help you in that. God's going to let you down. Now, people may let you down. You may have been rejected in the past for sharing something openly, and now you don't want to share anymore. That doesn't excuse you from following God's word and doing things God's way. Well, I tried, I tried to love my wife. I really, I really tried to love her this way, and I really tried to submit to my husband. I tried, Lord. It didn't, I'm going I'm to do it my way. It never works, ever. And what we do is we harden our hearts because today, if you hear his voice, if you read in the scriptures, this is the way that God designed this. This is the way that God wants you to walk in it. And you hear it, and you say, eh, Lord, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't really know if I want to do that. That's, that's scary then what do we do? We harden our hearts toward his word. We become 
open in our rebellion towards God, and it never works out well for us. In similar fashion, in Hebrews chapter 3, last section, then we'll come back to our text. Hebrews chapter 3, talking about Jesus being greater than Moses, verse 7. And Actually, I'm going to read this in a... I have the Phillips paraphrase, which is helpful for this passage. Um, I'm going to read it from the Phillips paraphrase for you. So it does some of the the interpretation work for us. It says, uh, verse 7 through 11, We ought to take note of these words which the Holy Spirit says. So this is for us today. The Holy Spirit said these words in Psalm 95 that is being quoted right now, and he's saying to us today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That was the, the quote from Psalm 95, paraphrased. Verse 12, you should therefore be most careful, my brothers, that there should be any, in any of you that wickedness of heart which refuses the trust and deserts the cause of the living God. Help each other to stand firm in the faith every day. This is, we're supposed to help each other with this. I can't help you if, if you don't talk to me, right? As your brother, I can't. If you, you know, based on that smile and walking here, and what, what, can I, what can I pray for you about, brother? What, what can I pray for you about today? Well, you know, I, the mailman lost my mail the other day, and I could really be great if I can get that back. And, um, Okay, I'll pray for your mail. That's that's fine. What, what else can I pray for you about? Well, I, there's this noise on my engine. I gotta go. I gotta go get this thing checked out. Really not sure about it. it just kind of bothers me a little bit, you know. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for your mail and for your engine. What else can I pray for you about? Well, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to. You know, this is a new restaurant that's just. You know, the guy was just really rude to me, and I, I don't know if I'm gonna go back there or not. So just pray for my heart. I'm not. You know, if I'm gonna go back, I can enjoy my meal or something. Okay, I'll pray for your mail to be found, for your engine, and that you can enjoy your pasta next time you go to the restaurant. Like, what, what else can I... We're, we're not sharing anything here. We're, there's nothing coming out that's going to be helpful for this, for this person. If, if I don't know, I can't help you, right? And God has put us in this place together to help one another. And we're supposed to. We're called to help one another, to carry each other's burdens, to pray for one another. And if, and if you don't share with me and if I don't share with you then we're done for. And ultimately, the church will be ineffective. We're going to be scrambling just to hide our sin. We're going to be scrambling just to cover things up, just to manage trying to be God in our own lives. That's, that's a tough job, and none of us can do it. None of us can do it. You should therefore be most careful, my brothers, that, you should not, that there should not be in any of you that wickedness of heart which refuses the trust and deserts the cause of the living God. Help each other to stand firm in the faith every day while it is still called today. There's an urgency. It's today. It's not tomorrow. Right? I had to put, <laughs> I was, I'm trying to change up my diet for health reasons and inflammation. And I, I put a little wallpaper on my phone that says, stop saying tomorrow. Cause that's what I, I, I'm always saying tomorrow, right? I'll do, I'll do it tomorrow. We got to stop. As, as long, while it's still called today, we need to be, Confessing these things. And, be, and beware that none of you uh, becomes deaf and blind to God through the delusive glamour of sin. This is the paraphrase still. This is what happens. We harden our hearts because we disobey God's word. We want to do it our own way. And so we become blind and deaf. There are so many people that cannot see themselves anymore. 
They truly, in their, in their mind and in their heart, they really believe that they're right and everyone else is wrong. Why is that? They've hardened themselves through, through time and time again. I'm saying, God, no, you're not able, and I am. And this is the outcome of it. Well, it's still called today, beware that none of you becomes deaf and blind to God through the delusive glamour of sin. For we continue to share in all that Christ has for us, so long as we steadily maintain until the end the trust with which we began. These words are still being said for our ears. These words are still being said for our ears. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And it's, and it's repeated multiple times in Hebrews 3, three different times. That's how serious it is. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Three different times in here. And it's all referring back to this episode in Exodus 17. And it's for us today. Do not harden your hearts. So what do the people do here? Let's go back to our text as I continue to thirst and I'm rationing myself. Right. So as I was reading this, it was a little bit, uh, I had some questions about the text and I was writing down questions and then just didn't quite understand kind of the direction to go. I understand this is a testing and this is a trust. And then really it was one commentator kind of put it in, in great words. This is, this is a covenant lawsuit that God's people were bringing against God himself. This is a trial in the desert. And then it just kind of opened up to me, and it made it, it, it totally made sense, and all the pieces started to come together. And so let's, let's just take a look here. God is moving them, and God is in control, and he's giving them commands, and he's taking no place with no water. And what's their response? It's the quarrel with Moses, who is identified closely with God. He is, their, he is God's servant. He's the voice piece of God. So whatever Moses says to his people is what God had told him to say. So when they're quarreling with Moses, they're quarreling with God himself. That's who they're, they're complaining with. And quarreling, now, we've moved from grumbling to quarreling. So grumbling is, is a murmuring, it's, it's a complaining. It's more than that, though. It's an open rebellion against God, questioning the goodness of God. But this quarreling is more, it's heated now. There's almost a physical aspect to it. To the point where even Moses says, they're about to stone me, right? And so when I thought about this from a covenant lawsuit perspective, this quarreling, they're, they're making their argument against God. They've kind of flipped the tables here. How many of you have seen the, um, the, those, those reality court TV shows, the people's court or judge Judy. No one's going to admit to it. A few people, you guys are brave. Good. See, we're, we're exposing all these things. We're getting them out in the way. Right. So these are court TV dramas and you know, it's a real judge, but I mean, these, the characters that come on there, it's made for television, right? So if you want to feel better about your day and your life, just watch a few episodes. You're like, I'm good. No more complaints, Lord. But we watch it, and they argue, and they just have these nonsensical arguments, and a lot of them don't have evidence, and they want pain and suffering for who knows what. And, but ultimately, imagine that, that the, and this could happen in one of these shows, imagine the, the defendant, the person kind of accused of something, jumps over, and the bailiff doesn't get to them in time, and they go over, and they, they take, they take the, the, the judge's seats, and they take the gavel, and they take the robe, and they put the judge in their, in their seat. They put him in that little box. And now the judge is the defendant. Now this, this person, this person who has no law degree, that has no right being the judge, who was brought here on an offense, who is guilty of something, taking the place of the judge and now telling the judge, now I'm going to try you. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to test you and see if you can pass my test. That's, that's, that's kind of what's happening here. C.S. Lewis has a series of essays um, called God and the Dock. They're essays on theology and on ethics. Uh, back in 1970. So C.S. Lewis is a Christian apologist and author. And ultimately, what he was doing in these essays as an apologist is looking at how man has reversed the role. He has, instead of the man 
human, human beings being in the judgment seat and God as the judge ruling over them according to their works and according to their life. Man has instead put God in the dock. He's put God in that little box where the, where the criminals sit to hear the, the charges against them, to have the sentence brought down. So we've, we've, we've essentially put God in the place of the criminal and we've accused him and we, have, we are standing over God now as his judge. And essentially, that's what is taking place here. They're quarreling. They're making accusations. They're making demands on him. Give us water to drink. And Moses is like, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted. And here's the accusation. Here's the charge brought against God. Why did you bring us out, out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They've already complained about this on multiple occasions. This is pretty serious. So for, for I know the plans I have for you, to, to, right, to prosper you to give you hope in the future. Instead, they, they, they don't hear that from the Lord, from Jeremiah. They, they, don't, they hear what they hear is, I, I know the plans I have for you to really harm you, to take away your hope, to, to remove and destroy your future. That's what they've, they've turned on him, and they're questioning God, and they're charging him with homicide. God, you brought us here to kill us. You brought us here to start. You brought us here to kill my little child. Right? They're making an emotional plea here in our lives. You've, you've, how dare you? To the point where, they're about to stone Moses. So you see the courtroom happening here? What was stoning in, in that time period? It was a death sentence. It was, you've been judged, and here, here's, we're carrying out the death sentence. We're going to stone you. So they've already accused God. They've quarreled against them. They've made their arguments. Thank you, Noah. They've made their arguments. They've brought charges against God, and now they're, they're, they're ready to stone his servant who represents God. This is a courtroom, and they're trying him. And so... It's amazing that God is gracious in this. He lets this play out, and he proves himself, even though he doesn't have to. Right? We're not to test the Lord. And even in, even in Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4, even, even um, as, as, as Satan uh, tempted Jesus to go up on the pinnacle and to throw himself down, and Jesus says, as, as it, it is written, you did not put the Lord your God to the test. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, and Deuteronomy 6 is talking about this particular situation here. You don't put God to the test. God, Jesus could have done it. He doesn't have to prove himself. God never has to prove himself. He's perfect in every way. And the Lord said to Moses, so this is the response. And Moses, you know, he cried out, what shall I do with this people? <laughs> you know, there's a bit of a concern in that prayer, but at least he's going to the Lord with this. What shall I do with this people? And we'll talk about leadership in the coming weeks here, but that's a, that's a huge question. Lord, what, what do I do here? And God says, this is what you need to do. Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. So I want you to walk in front of these people. Don't be scared of them. Walk in front of these people. Remember, they're, they're ready to stone him. They're, they're, you can imagine the crowds and the pressure, and Moses is like, what's going on here? Take with you some of the elders of Israel. God's like, I'm gonna, I want you to bring some witnesses on my behalf. They're going to watch what I do, and they're going to tell all the people. And God didn't have to do this, but he did anyway. And take in your hand the staff with which you strike, uh, struck the Nile and go. And so the staff of God, this, this, this picture of divine authority and power, take it with you. Show them. And I just have a picture in my mind of Moses walking past everyone with the staff on this side, right? Right? Put the stone down. I got it. Right? This is walk in front of everyone. And he struck the rock. And I almost picture this sense of a, of a gavel judging the people. Because why did he say the staff with which you struck the Nile? 
I was like, why did he pick that one when I was studying this instead of why not the, the staff that was held up and the, the waters parted? And there's a friendlier staff version, you know, in some of the stories. So why that one? That was the first judgment that came against Egypt. He struck the Nile and it turned to blood. That was a judgment against Pharaoh, against Egypt, against the gods of Egypt. And so this was a judgment on his people. When Moses struck the rock and brought down the gavel and the water poured out and God said, this is who I am. I provide for you every time. God was essentially judging his people, even as he blessed them with what they asked for. And Moses did this, and the name of the place changed to a place of testing, a place of quarreling, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Of course he's among them. Of course he's always present. Of course he's always there, but they've changed. They've, they've hardened their heart toward him. And so I, I want us to be cautious as we look at an application here about how we approach the Lord. When God brings you to a place, and he will, where there's no water, what are you going to do? When he brings you to a place that's, that's there's, there's struggle, there's, there's tension, there's problems, there's a crying out because you feel like you're helpless and you're thirsty, what do I do? We need to pray, we need to wait on the Lord, we need to trust him in his word, do things according to his word, not our own way, right? And unfortunately, what we do with any type of thing in our life, any type of trial— we might throw up a prayer here and there, and if God doesn't answer right away, then, then we're done. We're going our own way. We're testing God. We're putting him on trial when we say, God, you're not helping my marriage, so I'm going to take over and do what I think is right. God, you're not helping my children and my family, so I'm going to take over and do what I... I know what your word says about not provoking my child to wrath, but you don't know my child. Your son was Jesus. He was perfect. My son is not, and you don't know what you're talking about, Lord. Right? That's essentially what we say. God, you don't understand. You don't understand my spouse. You don't understand all the hurt that we've gone through and all the pain. And so I'm going to do things my own way. And why is it then that the church looks no different than the world when it comes to divorce? Why is it that husbands and wives feel the, the freedom suddenly to walk away from their, their families and from their commitment and their covenant? And, they, and here's the same words that come out of the mouths of those who decide to leave. I've got peace with this. I, I've never drawn closer to the Lord. I really feel like this is the Lord, what the Lord... Why? Because we've hardened our hearts over years and years. And some of you have done that in here this morning, over years. You've, you've, you've found a way to get through and to get by and to still come to church. And so I, I can't share this now. It's been too long. And I can't share this now because I'm a ministry leader. And I, I can't share this now because people expect this. And I, I, it, it's just too late. So I'll just keep hiding it. And I'll keep doing it my own way. I'll, I'll keep telling God, essentially, you're not able to. You can't do this, God. You can't save this marriage. You can't help me. If I expose this, I'm done. You can't, you can't save me from that. And we hide it. And then eventually, it blows up. And then what do we do? We blame God. We blame everybody else. We feel justified in our sin. And we say, well, God can't help me. And our, our words don't match up with the scripture. Lord, I, I, I believe that you're the savior. I believe that you're the sanctifier. You're the God of the universe. You can do all these things. You can save. You're able to bring beauty from ashes, Lord. You can redeem. You can reconcile. That's your whole business. That's what you do. You save things, but God can't do that if we don't confess, if we don't repent, if we don't walk with him, if we don't bring these things to light, if we don't confess our sins and pray for one another, then we're not going to be healed. It's not going to happen. You might say, yeah, but I don't, I don't know this person that well, and I don't know, you know, I'm part of this group, but I don't know if I can trust them, and I don't, do you trust yourself to save yourself? Really? I mean, how's it going? There's too much of this, too much hiding, too much just... We have put ourselves back in the cage. We are not walking as freed men and women in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not. And so the church is not free to be the church. 
We are so restricted and held back. And, we, and, and you wonder why, oh, I'm so frustrated. Why are we not seeing more people saved? Why, why is God not using me here? Why is not God not using me there? And what, Because you're sinning against the Lord God. You're rebelling against him. You're quarreling. You've judged him. You've tested him. You've hindered your prayers. There's a, you guys know the Dave Ramsey show, and um, oftentimes he'll have someone on who, Dave, he's got his, Dave knows what he's doing. He's been doing this a long time. He's helped millions of people. He has his, pro, you don't have to adhere to what he says, but that's his plan. That's what he knows works. And people call all the time, and it's, you can tell what's going to happen as soon as they start to talk, right? They're like, yeah, Dave, I, I love your plan, and yeah, it's great, and Ultimately, they're asking him, how do, I, how do I do my own plan, but still get all your results, right? Tell me of that. And then Dave can't handle that, and he's, some, depending on the day, he hangs up, or right? But that's, isn't that what we do to the Lord? Lord, your, your principles are good. I like your book. looks good. It's good leather. And Lord, thank you for, I mean, gold page. It's really good. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Lord, I really, I really... I really know this is good, and I know this is your word, but Lord, how do I do all of this my own way, but still get all of your results? How do I do that, Lord? How do I stay in my marriage? But Ephesians 5, I, I really don't want to submit to my husband. You don't, you don't understand. I, I really love my wife, and I want, to, I want to love her as Christ loved the church and sacrifice himself for her. I, gave, I, I want to do those things, but I, it's just, it just doesn't work for me, Father. You, you understand, right? Lord, I, I want to do my finances the way that you talk about it, and I want to live my life and, and go to work, and I want to, I want to you know, have speech that, that is honoring to you, and I want to watch things that's honoring to you, Lord, and I want to do, you just don't understand the temptations, Lord. You just don't understand this world. And so I'm going to have to do it my way, but I, I like what you're saying, and I can memorize it, and I can say it back to other people, and I'm happy to help, Lord. I'm happy to serve, and, but I'm not going to do it your way. It will fail every time, every time. And so that's what they're doing here. And I, as we close here, I want to read from John chapter 4 to encourage you to connect with your brothers and sisters, to connect with a Bible study in this church, to come talk to me, grab one of my cards on the way out, email me saying you want to have coffee, talk to someone else, one of the other elders in the church, get together with other people. Your life is too important to be so busy that you can't work on your own heart when it comes to these things. And all you will do is continue to hide and push through and hope you get to retirement, hope you can get through all this without any major things happening. It doesn't work. I know plenty of believers that they've tried and tried for decades, and finally the hiddenness is too much, and they're done and they're divorced. And other people, they try and try for and the hiddenness is too much. And so they stay married but separately, separate homes. They just get the financial benefits. There's no life there. There's no marriage there. There's nothing. And there's too many people that are walking in this church who can't see themselves because they've hardened themselves in their heart by disobeying God. And so when you, when you try to confront them lovingly as a brother in the Lord, no, they don't like that. Don't tell me what to do. You're wrong about everything. There's no humility, no teachability. We have done that to ourselves when we don't listen to the Lord, when we don't expose this sin, when we don't confess our sin to one another. You've got to get rid of it. You're trying to do surgery on yourself. Right? You're laying on the table and your hand's shaking and you're trying to get in there. It's, how's that going to end up? That's what's happening to the church. I'll take care of it. In John chapter four, this amazing story of the woman at the well and Jesus sitting down. He's wearied from his journey, right? He sits down and he asks this woman for a drink. 
The disciples went away to buy some food, to get some snacks, right? Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The, the, the Israelites will be thirsty again after they drink from that rock. They're, they're, they're getting the water, they're excited about it, but that's not what they really need. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So the woman wants this, and she desires this, and she's asking him, Please give me this water. And Jesus, before he can give her himself, he's got to expose her heart. Right? Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mount, but you, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left with her jar of water and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him to eat, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This story is amazing to me because Jesus exposed this woman's heart. He knew her past. He knew the dark secrets, why she's at the well during the day and during the heat of the day and not early in the morning with everybody else. Why is she hiding? What is she doing? And he, but do you see how he did this? He called her out, but he offered her life. He didn't condemn her. She ran back to the town and told everybody, come, let's come see this guy who told me everything I ever did. I wouldn't be that excited about that, right? I don't want to go talk to this guy who's going to know everything I ever did. Why would I do that? But she's excited. And then the people came. Why? Because this is different. He was offering living water to them. They needed refreshment. They needed to get rid of all of this sin. And so Jesus exposed the sin, and, but in a way that was not condemning, but was life-giving. It was refreshing. There was, when it was spoken out loud, when it was brought into the light, there was freedom from it. And now she could walk and go tell other people about this Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If you're hiding your sin and trying to do it on your own and telling God, you're not able, Lord. You're going to live like that for the rest of your life. Miserable, frustrated. Ultimately, consequences will be will abound in your life that are negative. But if we expose those things, if we, we give those to the Lord, we cast our cares and our burdens upon him, we take in his rest, as we talked about last week, we, we, we come to him for this living water, then we have life. There's nothing like being free from the bondage of sin. Don't keep yourself in that place. God has provided his word 
God has provided prayer. God has provided his church. Consider that. Come to him. Confess your sin to him. Confess your sin to one another. Be free of these things. I just, I would love to have a, a, a day where we just come here and praise God for the freedom from sin that comes from this place. If you would just do this work, have one or two people that you trust that you can talk with. And if they walk away from you, it doesn't discount God's word. It still stands as true. Talk to someone else then. You can't do this by yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word encourages us and helps us and but also convicts us. It divides. It gets into our hearts and the deepest places, Lord, and shows us all the problems that are deep within, Lord, and exposes those things so that we might give those to you. Jesus, you died for our sins. We don't have to hold on to them anymore. You openly died on a cross and bled, and your blood atoned for all of our sin. Father, when we don't give those to you, when we don't confess those to you, Lord, we live very difficult and rebellious lives. We are hardened in our heart. Our ears don't work anymore. Our eyes don't work anymore. Help us, Lord, today, today when we hear your voice, to not harden our hearts as, as in the rebellion, as your people did at Masa and Meribah, Lord. Help us not to be those people. We know that, that we are limited in every way, Lord, but we have the Holy Spirit of God. We have your presence. You are with us. Is the Lord among us or not? Yes, you are among us. You are with us always. Even to the end of the age, Lord, you've given us everything we need. Help us to stop hiding, Lord, so that we might start healing. We might be free of all this junk, all these lies from Satan that we will, we will be judged and condemned and rejected. We have been accepted by you, the God of the universe. You are our heavenly Father. You love us too much to leave us in the dark. Give us the strength to do what is necessary, Lord, even if we are scared. That is what faith is all about. Give us faith to step out and to walk in the light as you are in the light. Give us freedom, Lord, from these things. We're your people. We need you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.